Welcome to the Hill City Church Podcast. We are a church family located in Springfield, Missouri. You can learn more about us and support our ministries at hillcitysgf.org. Good morning. Uh, my name is Scott Hardwick and I'm an elder here at Hill City and uh, I have the privilege and the, and the honor to be teaching this morning um, as we continue looking in Colossians. Um, I've, been, I've been an elder here for the last couple of years and I think up on the screen I have a picture of my, my family, uh, my wife Megan and our, our two children, Bennett and Lily, and she is glaring in the picture like she glares at everybody. So. She gives Brad a mean stare every Sunday. So, um, I, I was excited when Daniel asked me. He texted me in December and said, would you teach in January? And I, and I was excited. I'm a teacher by trade. I teach uh, at Central High School um, just up the street. And, and so I was excited to be able to come in here and, and do that with you guys. And he texted me, great, Colossians 1, 15 through 23. I didn't even read the passage. I just said, sure. And then I did what I think a lot of us do when something comes up in your life. You text mom or dad, right? I still text my parents. So I I got my phone out and I text my father. And if you don't know my father, his name is Dr. Jim Hardwick. And he, to me, is the smartest person I know. He's been in ministry 40 years. He has a master's. He has two doctorates. If, if I need a question about the Bible, I go to him. He, he's just a very smart person. So I text him and said, I'm preaching. He's like, great, what's the text? I said, Colossians 1, 15 through 23. And my father's response to me back was, whew, that's a tough text. And I immediately was like, oh, no. <laughs> and my father, who knows Daniel really well, immediately texted him back. He texted me and said, I bet Daniel punted. So... I'm not saying Daniel punted, but the smartest person I know said that. So there you go. Um, oh, I just do some. I, as we begin this morning, and I was thinking about what we were going to be talking about, um, I was thinking about this in the end of December. And I, I don't know about you guys, but as this uh, year wraps up, you start to get a little uh, retrospective in your own minds. Um, I was looking through pictures of my kids for a whole year and watching how they grew. I was looking back at what movies and books and the music that I listened to and just and the experiences that I had for the year. And you start to kind of think about your year, right? At the end of every year, everyone starts to do that. And I was looking and, and really was thinking, man, 2020 for our family was a beautiful year. And I know that a lot of people, for our family, it was such a special season, and, and, and there's a lot of hard things, but a lot of good things as well, and, and so just looking back and being reflective on that. As a whole, right, a society, I think a lot of people were ready for 2020 to leave, right? We had wildfires, we had, uh, we had a pandemic, uh, we had uh, elections were flooding the news, right? We, we were hearing about economic instability, we saw businesses here in Springfield close, uh, movie theaters, concerts, things that went away that we were used to. Our church for a season shut the doors. And I know for a lot of people, they started feeling disconnected. Um, And a lot of people, including myself, at the end of 2020 was ready to go, okay, new year, 2021, right? 
and, and, and kind of that optimistic, let's, let's look to a new year. How's 2021 looking, right? We, we're still in the pandemic, still riots and, and, and tension in, in America. And so it, it's gotten me to think, what are we putting our hope into? Everyone puts their hope into something. People put their hope into a new calendar year, a vaccine, a president, a job, a relationship. Are some of us putting our hope in a quarterback this afternoon? I am, right? Like, we, you're, you're, yeah, go Chiefs. Uh, what, what are you putting your hope into? And I think, like we studied last fall in Ecclesiastes, where the preacher said, nothing is new under the sun. And so today, and like us today, the Apostle Paul in the book of Colossians is going to remind the church then where their hope lies. And that's in Jesus, in the gospel. Um, so we're going to pray and then read the scripture together and, and look at the passage. Jesus, we come to you this morning. And we ask that, that you would um, reveal yourself in this room. Holy Spirit, as we open up your word, would the, would, the, would the words in the scripture come to life? Would you convict my heart? Would you convict our hearts as we learn what it looks like to be more like you? So Addison Jones here is going to read our passage that we're going to be re- looking at today. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created, in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church, He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. And you, who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, He has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. Thank you. So, we're in Colossians chapter 1, and we're starting in verses 15. I want to recap what Daniel talked about last week as he introduced this letter, this book of Colossians, and and we'll be spending uh, a good chunk of our spring together in this book, or this letter. And Daniel, last week, reminded us that in studying a letter in the New Testament, that context is very crucial when you're reading and studying, and so to remind ourselves that Paul is in jail writing a letter to a church that he's never been to before. Uh, Colossae is a small town um, about 10 miles or so away from Laodicea. 
And Paul's never been there before. And he gets word of this young church. And so he, from jail, is writing this church a letter, a pastoral letter to encourage them. He's been hearing about pressure that they are facing. And so he spends some time and, and writes this letter, this expensive process to, to write a letter to a group of people to encourage them. And he opens up that letter with two prayers. One, thanking them for their faith in Jesus. And then the second is that he prays that they would grow in wisdom and spiritual understanding. And that's where we kind of left off last week. We're looking at Paul just thanking them in these two prayers. And if you have your Bible, you can see that this next section of the uh, letter a lot of times has a subtitle, the preeminence of Christ. Preeminence meaning the superior, like the superiority, that Christ is superior. And this is pa uh, the, the passage that we'll be studying this morning. One of the things about this passage is um, most theologians, scholars will say that this passage of Scripture... When you get those really thick, heavy theology books, the, 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 the books that you study when you go to seminary, that the Christology or the study of the doctrine of Christ comes from this passage. So in other words, when you're studying about the doctrine of who Christ is, they dive into this passage. So this is a very rich text. Something that I hope we can get from this, and something that has stood out to me, is that when Paul writes this passage that we're going to kind of walk through, he's going to write it as a poem. And some people even think that maybe he wrote this in took a, a song or a hymn that maybe the early church was familiar with and rewrote it to that tune. We're not sure. We don't have a tune to, per se. But regardless, Paul has been writing this letter, and then in here shifts... And essentially writes out this beautiful poem for the people of the church to read. And, and before we do, I, I want to ask, why do you think he would write it in a poem form? And I've been thinking about that. Why would he want them to, to learn about who Christ is in a poem? Well, one, I think it stands out, right? You're reading a letter, and then all of a sudden, a poem appears. It's going to grab your attention, but I also think poetry, songs, make it easier for us to remember and retain things, right? Like, one of the things that I, I've come to resolve is that I will speak up here for 30 minutes, and two or three weeks from now, you probably aren't going to remember anything that I talked about. I can't tell you what Daniel probably talked about four weeks ago, right? But what we do take away, a lot of the times what we do take away are the, the, the truths that we sing about on Sundays, the doctrine that we learn in those songs. And it's one of the reasons why here at Hill City we, we, we value and treasure the songs that we sing, that we would sing songs that would remind us of the truths of God, the gospel. We sing about the gospel. Jarrell's going to come out here after I, I, and, and sing a song called Come Behold the Wondrous Mysteries, which is rich in the doctrine of actually what we're preaching about this morning. And so I think Paul, like what we do on a gathering on Sunday, is trying to grab the church's attention, say, hey, here's a poem. And so let's dive into that poem and look at this stanza together. 
By the way, I'm not an English teacher, so I, I, I do a terrible job of trying to like analyze poetry. Um, I'm a history teacher, so I'll do my best. So this poem has essentially two stanzas or six verses. Let's look at the first three verses together. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. We'll stop there. It, Paul says that Jesus is the image of the invisible God. John in chapter 1 says that we can't see God, but we know God through Jesus, that Jesus embodies the image of God. And it says that he's the firstborn of all creation. Now, some people might take that verse and say, yep, Jesus was created, therefore it's God and then Jesus. This is the wrong idea of this word firstborn. It's an Old Testament reference, referencing a, royal, a royalty status. That he's saying, when he says he is the firstborn of all creation, he is essentially saying he is the king of all creation. 16, for, him, for by him all things were created, in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. So in this first stanza, Paul is reminding them not only of, of Jesus being this image of God, but that he is the firstborn or the king over all creation. He also says that he shares an identity with the creator. In fact, he says that Jesus, not only all things were created through him and for him. So he is a creator and king. So in this, these three verses, Paul lays out to us that through Jesus, he is known as the king and creator. He is, Jesus is both king and creator. But then in verse 18, he moves on. And let's look at 18. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead. Notice he's used the term firstborn again, like he did it earlier. He's the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. And through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, by making peace by the blood of his cross. Paul is laying out that Christ is not only the creator, that Christ is no, not only the king, but he is also the head of this new body or a head of this church. And like he is the firstborn of all creation, he's the firstborn to be resurrected. He's the first of many to be resurrected. And because of Jesus, and in Jesus, God's presence dwells. And through Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, God reconciles himself to all of humanity, to all of creation. So the creator helps reconcile God to all creation. Jesus is the king, he's the creator, and he's also the reconciler. That's a lot of heaviness, right, in those six verses. Like that is, that, it's very rich, and I would encourage you guys to take some time to read over those verses and to, and to meditate on those. But why? What do you think he's trying to tell the Colossians? Again, we're, we're reading a letter 
from Paul to a small church in Colossae. What is Paul trying to tell the church? And, and, and better yet, what can we learn from this passage for Hill City? And so as I've been spending some time thinking about this, I think two things stand out about this text that I want us to focus on this morning. And the first one is that Jesus is king. His greatness, his power is laid out through this text. Um, this poem is, is majestically a worship song to Jesus. Um, we could take some music and, just, and, and, and sing about his greatness through this text. Um, and I started thinking about what does it mean for Jesus being king? And I started thinking about royalty. Throughout civilization, our humanity has been drawn to some type of royalty. Stories throughout the Bible of the Hebrew people being drawn to one a king. We have the stories of Saul and King David and King Solomon. In, in, in America, we, I grew up right with stories about kings and queens, fairy tales, knights, King Arthur. Like th these stories have been passed down uh, from century to century and, and society seems to be gravitating towards royalty. How about in pop culture today, right? You have like Netflix The Crown and people are obsessed with the British royalty. You have Lord of the Rings or maybe Game of Thrones, which I think Game of Thrones is like Baptist and alcohol. Uh, half of you haven't seen it and the other half won't admit that you've seen it. So that's, that's where it is in Game of Thrones. But, but regardless, our culture is obsessed with royalty, with kings, with queens. Why? And, and I was thinking, why, why is that? And I think it comes back to this idea in Ecclesiastes, Ecclesiastes 3.11, where he said that he, God, has set eternity in the human hearts. And I think humanity is drawn to some type of king because it's been etched into our soul to be drawn to a king. That we've been designed to respond to a king, that there is a grand story of a king that has been etched into our hearts, a grand story of the gospel that's been intuitive into our hearts. We're designed to look towards a king. Um, and so to make that personal, how does that apply to me? How does that apply to you? Jesus is king. Is Jesus king, right? Like, do you surrender? What does it look like to surrender to a king? Are there areas in your life where you haven't submitted to him? Do you know this king? You know, Paul later in Philippians will say that one day all knees will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Do you know this king? One day you will know this king. But do you know him now? So, first takeaway from this idea of the preeminence of Christ is that Jesus is king. And the second one that I want us to focus on this morning is our focus should be on Jesus. 
Paul was telling the people of Colossae, like, hey, I pray that you grow in wisdom. I pray that you grow in understanding. And then what does he immediately do? He switches and immediately starts teaching them about Jesus. Like he's saying, you want to know, you want to grow maturity, you want to grow the supremacy of Christ. You want wisdom, you want patience, you want to mature, then understanding who Jesus Christ is, is essential in your maturity. The more you understand who Jesus is, the more you'll understand who God is, what he's done, and as a result, what does it mean to live in him? Paul, by the way, does not just say this and then walk away. You're going to see this again in chapter 2. He's going to tell them that you want wisdom. Wisdom is hidden in Christ. In chapter 3, and Brad's going to be preaching on this later, that he says to set your mind on things above, which is in Christ. He's going to be saying this over and over and over. You want to grow. You want wisdom. It's Jesus. So, again, I, I'm looking for how does that apply to a hill city? How does that apply to me? What does it look like? It's, it's nice up to have this sentence, focus on Jesus. What does it look like for us to turn our attention to Jesus? Well, the first way to know more about Jesus is to read about him. Dive into the Gospels. Read about Jesus, how he lived, how he served, how he died. Um, if you don't know where to start, there are four Gospels. I'd encourage you to start with the Gospel of Mark. Um, it's the easiest Gospel to read. Um, sometimes if you get into Matthew and Luke and you read about so-and-so was from, from so-and-so, from so-and-so, from so-and-so, and you just, whoa, it's, it's a lot of so-and-sos, right? Uh, start with the book of Mark. If you, if you haven't read the Gospels or haven't spent a lot of time in the Gospels, that's where I would say to start. But the second way in which we can focus on Jesus, we can learn more about Jesus, is with the people that were around. I love music. And I love, to, I love to sing, I love, to, I love playing music. But you know what really stirs my affection for music is when I'm around my friends that love to play music. And when I am around them and I start talking about music and start singing together and it stirs me up to want to play music. You love sports. If you're around people that love that same sport, you love baseball, you love football, and you stand around and talk about that sport, that team, it gets you excited. It stirs you up for those things. You want to grow in Christ. Are you around people that also want to know more about Jesus? You guys stir each other up. Iron sharpening iron. You want to know more about Jesus. Read about him. But be around those that also want to know more about him. So those, those are my two takeaways. Again, the preeminence of Christ, you can, you can take time and, and dive through that doctrine and, and dive through that passage and read more about them. Um, but I want us to take the rest of our time this morning to look at the three verses after this poem. So he has written this six-verse poem, and then Paul actually shifts focus, and he's not talking about the supremacy of Christ he starts talking back to the people of Colossians. He gets out of the poem and starts talking to the people of Colossians. And, and, and starting in verse 21, I want us to read these next two verses together. And you who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, 
He has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. Paul has been talking to the people of Colossae and he, he lays out this beautiful doctrine of, of who Christ is. And then what does he do right after that? He reminds them of the gospel. He's like, hey, by the way, you were once a sinner, and you needed this king. You needed to be reconciled. And because of that, you are now holy and blameless before God. What a beautiful reminder of no matter what you've learned, how you've matured, that you don't stray from the gospel. Like We need to continually remind ourselves of the gospel over and over and over. Paul's going to remind them of this multiple times in this letter, as if, by the way, in case you forgot, here's the gospel. You were sinners. You needed Christ to reconcile you before the Father. So, I want us to look at the last verse together in our time. Verse 23, it's a, it's, it's a, can be viewed as a, as a difficult verse. So, verse 23, if indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a witness. Did you guys catch that first word? If? Now, pastors aren't here, so... I hope you aren't thinking like, oh, Scott's getting up there and uh, he's going to talk about losing salvation this morning. And I'm not. And I think, by the way, it's very dangerous to ever take one phrase or one verse and to base something solely on that, right? So I'm not here this morning to t- be talking about losing salvation because I don't think Paul's talking about the if. What does he mean by if? If. Indeed, you continue in the faith. I think Paul is saying here that the truest test of genuine faith is continuing in the faith. You have genuine faith, you continue in that faith. And I'm not saying that there's not going to be times of doubt and struggle, but the truest test of faith is continuing in the faith. And if you've walked away from Jesus, or you know someone who's walked away from Jesus, let that be something to wrestle with. It reminds me of a story, a successful author and pastor uh, named Josh Harris. In the mid-90s, he wrote a book. As a young man, he wrote a book called I Kiss Dating Goodbye. Has anybody heard that book before? Okay, a couple people. It's very popular in conservative Christian homes. Uh, it's a young man who basically said, you shouldn't date anybody, and you should just court and be married that way. Right? Don't kiss anyone until your wedding day. Very popular with parents in conservative homes. Um, sold 1.2 million copies, which this guy bought a copy of that, right? So I, I, I had bought that book, and I think I was in middle school at the time. And um, what did I know about dating it? Anyways, I, I ended up going to a conference and hearing him speak. I think a pretty girl invited me to go hear them speak. So I don't know if I really understood the concept of his book. But he, he became a very successful author, wrote several books, became a pastor, pastored for 20 years. 
And in 2019, it came out that he announced that he was divorcing his wife, that he walked away from his faith and said, I don't believe in God anymore. In fact, he said, I'm, I miss God, but I don't believe in him anymore. And for a lot of people, that was a, a, was a very hard, tragic, sad story to hear about. Um, and, it, and it reminded me of that story when I was reading Paul saying, if indeed you continue in the faith. And, and by the way, I, I took time to pray for Josh this morning or this, this week as I was thinking about this. Is there somebody in your life who has not continued in the faith? That family member or that friend that used to be so passionate for the Lord and they've, and they've not continued in the faith. Would you pray for them? Like, would reading this verse stir something in you to go, man, I, I, need, to, I need to pray for them? Because that's the right response, right? Like, they've, they've not continued in the faith. Would the Lord draw them back? Would the Lord one day draw them back to him? So, Paul is saying you continue in the faith. It's the truest test of faith. He says, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard. And I think Paul, when he's saying to be steadfast and stable to the gospel, and he'll say this throughout the book and in Galatians and others, he's not just saying be true to the hope of the gospel. He's also saying don't add stuff to the gospel. Like be true to the gospel that you've been taught. And as an elder here, I, could this verse be a warning for our church? I know what you're saying. This is Hill City. We use the word gospel a lot, right? We preach the gospel. We rehearse the gospel. We sing gospel songs. We're gospel-centered. Our city groups talk about the gospel, right? Like we, we very intentionally do that. So, like, our church isn't going to add to the gospel, but let's be real. We live in a fallen world where every day I am drawn to the things of this world and want to so badly be tempted to add things to my faith. There are things that look so good to add to what I am, what I believe in. Uh, uh, Values, money success, politics, whatever it is, I want to say yes and this with the gospel. And so I think it's a warning for us not to add anything to the gospel. So I want to close with, with this last bit. I, I'm, a, I'm a history teacher. I'm a history nerd. And so when I was reading about the people of Colossians, what were they looking at? Paul was writing to a church, and they're estimating when this happened. It could have happened weeks or months after they received this letter from Paul. But a devastating earthquake hits this region of Turkey. At least three cities that we know of were completely leveled. They didn't have reinforced concrete, right? They had stone structures. Everything gets wiped. And we know from history that the Roman Empire felt it was good to rebuild the city of Laodicea down the road. 
we, we know rec tax records that they spent money to help rebuild that city. There is no mention of the city of Colossae. 30 years later, John, Jesus is writing to, uh, to these churches in Asia Minor. There's seven churches in Asia Minor. Guess what church doesn't get mentioned? Colossae. So as far as we know, these people who have a thriving young church in a small town, shortly after they've been encouraged by Paul, the city is gone. And the people are forced to relocate, become refugees in new towns and in new cities, and the church has to scatter. And what does Paul, hopefully, what were the words that were on their lips as they were going through this? To remain steadfast and stable in the hope of the gospel. So going back to what I was talking about at the beginning of this message, I don't know what 2021 looks like, and I hope, and I'm optimistic. I was told not to be a Debbie Downer. Like, I'm optimistic about 2021. And regardless of where you are at in your season of life, like, just know that putting your hope in anything other than the gospel, to remain steady and stable and steadfast in the hope of the gospel. Because anything else other than Jesus may let you down. It could be a false hope. So hold fast to the hope of the gospel in Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for meeting us here today, for your word to remind us of your promises, of what's true, that you are king, and that we submit to your kingship. And Lord, would we continue to learn and know more about you? And as we learn more about you, would we remain stable and steadfast in your gospel.